0: You can also check us out online by going to ouravenuechurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. This is our second week in a series called Face to Face. And what we're looking at is the importance of having basically some face time with God, experiencing God face to face. And last week we looked at the story of Moses who had his encounter with the burning bush. And we have, you know, we've probably had these burning bush experiences in our own life where God shows up in an extraordinary way on an ordinary day and it changes the trajectory of our life. And one of the things that Moses recognizes after he has this encounter is they are going into the promised land and the people he's leading, they just really get on God's nerve. And he's like, fine, I'm not going with you. And Moses and God get in this argument on whose kids those are, moms and dads, right? When they're acting good, my girls, they're my kids. When they're acting up, they're Jennifer's kids, right? And so Moses and God is having this conversation, your people, your people, your people. And so God's finally like, look, I'm not going into the promised land with you you can go. I will bless you. You will be in the land that I promised you, but I'm not going with you. I will send an angel with you. And Moses is like, look, God, I don't want to go unless you go with us. And he makes this statement and he says, because it is your presence with us that separates us from all the other nations of the world. And so many times I think, I know in my life, I will run ahead of God's presence just so that I can have his blessings. Anybody else? Right. And so Moses understands that we need his presence more than the land. And so as we're looking, guys, at these different stories in the Old and New Testament of people who have these face to face encounters, these burning bush moments, I want you to pursue presence over encounters. But at the same time, we will have experiences with God that change us and, and, and direct us in a new way. And so we're going to look at this guy today in the Old Testament. Um, his name is Jacob. Um, and Jacob, is like this is this is one of my favorite stories. If you read the Old Testament at all, at all, when I get to my Bible reading plan, I get really excited when I get to the book of Genesis and we start talking about Jacob because Jacob is like... Uh, Like a soap opera. You guys remember those back in the day? Like One Life to Live, As the World Turns, General Hospital. What else you got? Like I watched them all. My babysitter watched all the soap operas. And then my granny watched all the soap operas. And then she watched Walker, Texas Ranger in the Afternoon which was like uh, an, an action soap opera, right? And then I realized, like when I became a teenager, I watched Beverly Hills 90210. Anybody else? Extras in the house, right? Not the reboot, that was garbage, but the, like, like the old one. It was a soap opera basically in the afternoons. And so Jacob's life is really like a soap opera. And so we're gonna look here in verses 30 through 31 and this is kind of in the middle of his life. And he's, he's been through some, some experiences. Um, he's had some hard times. But then he's also tried to work and deceive some people to get what he wanted. And it says here, it says, then he, and he's talking about God. He's having an encounter with God here. He said, then he blessed Jacob there. So they're in this place and God blesses Jacob. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God for he said I have seen God face to what face to let's try it one more time I still can't hear you face to there we go face to face and this he says yet my life has been spared and it says the sun rose as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And if you don't know the story, you're like, why is that important? Because in this, in this encounter with God, God actually touches him in a way that doesn't cause him like, to walk away joyfully. He's actually limping away, and it's not a gangster limp as he's walking away. Like he's, he's injured as he's walking away. So why is that significant? We'll get there. But I want us to, to, to back up and look at a bird's eye view of Jacob's life because he was a man that was trying to do things his way and he is actually one of the cornerstones of the Jewish faith and even our faith. And so you've probably heard the terminology that, that, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's, it's grandfather, dad, and grandson and son. And these are the generations that God used to instill, to create, to establish his covenant with his chosen people. And when we look at the life of Jacob, Jacob is actually um, one of, of two, two sons. He has a twin son named Esau. Now, they're not identical twins, okay? And that always threw me off when when I would see someone and find out they were twins, but they looked nothing alike. And then, like, we even had a couple of kids in our youth group. Their birthdays were exactly a year apart to the day. And I was like, I don't know what kind of magic you guys used, but it's brilliant. All the birthdays in one day, regardless of age. But they look like identical twins, but they weren't. And so Esau and Jacob, they're twins, but they're not identical, and, and Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. He liked to cook and clean, maybe like, you know, Pinterest and craft and those kind of things. Esau, he was a hunter, as scripture says, that, that he was red and he was very hairy. And, and when they were born, Esau came out first. And it says that when, when Esau came out, Jacob came from behind holding on to, Je- to Esau's heel. And in this culture, and a lot of cultures in the world, actually, your birth order determines the blessings that you have. Your birth order determines the inheritance that you receive from your parents and your grandparents. And so guess who the majority of the inheritance and blessings goes to? The firstborn. And so Jacob is in one sense trying to grab his brother, pull him back in so he can get out first. And in in his mind as an infant, I don't know how that works. This is a Bible story, right? But he's like, I don't want to be second. I want to be first. And we see this over and over and over in Jacob's life. So much so to the fact that, that Jacob was his mother's favorite. Esau was his father's favorite. And it was the father that passed on the blessings to the son And there was this one day where Esau was out hunting. He was like a man's man. He'd been out hunting all day and maybe dressed as deer, skinned the squirrels or whatever. And he comes in and Jacob's in the kitchen cooking some soup. And he smells it and he's like, Jacob, give me some of that soup. And Jacob's like, I'll only give you some soup if you give me your birthright. No brainer. You would say no, right? You would say no because all the inheritance from his parents is going to go to him And Jacob says, I'll give you some soup if you give me all your inheritance. Esau doesn't say no. He says, what good is my inheritance? What good is my birthright if I am dead? So he's saying, I'm starving. Do you you guys know those people? They probably live in your house, right? They haven't eaten in three hours, and so they're starving to death. And, like, there's, like, you know, fudge rounds and everything in the cabinet, but they're just standing there. I'm starving. There's nothing to eat, like. Bread, to start there, right? And he's saying, look, I'm starving to death. What good is my birthright if, if if I'm not even alive? So yes, you can have my birthright. And so literally he traded his birthright for beans, lentil soup. How ridiculous is that? And so Jacob tricked him into that. And we don't see, that's not just... The, the final time. So you see Jacob here in this moment wrestling with wanting approval from his dad and mom, approval from his brother. And, and we see later on that it came time for Isaac, their dad, to pass on the blessing. So he has the birthright, the birth order. He's now first. Now it's time for dad to pass on the actual blessing. and And Isaac, the dad, tells Esau, go out, get some game because I love the way you grill Grill me up something nice and then I will pass on my blessing to you. Jacob and Esau's mother overhears this and tells Jacob, your brother's going out. This is our time. This is our time. Let's get what is supposed to be yours. And so she says, I will prepare a meal. We'll dress you up like Esau and then you will present the meal and your father will give you the blessing while Esau is out. And so Esau is this manly man Jacob is not so much. And he's like, what are you talking about, mom? Not gonna happen, right? And so she's like, I've got a plan. So when they kill the goat, they take the fur from the neck of the goat and put it on his arms, okay? Because his brother was hairy. Like, dude, you're real hairy. Like, if you're as hairy as a goat. And so, so Jacob brings the meal to Isaac that his mother has prepared. And Isaac says, you sound like Jacob, <laughs> but you smell like Esau, And you feel like Esau. And so he eats the meal that Jacob has prepared, thinking it's Esau. And he passes on the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. Jacob is trying to find his place. Because here's what Jacob struggled with. Jacob had this insatiable appetite for affirmation. He wanted to be affirmed by his mother. So he gave in to the plan that was deceitful and he wanted to be affirmed by his father. So he gave in to the plan that was deceitful so he could steal what was not his. He had an insatiable appetite for affection and this, or, or affirmation. And this isn't the last time that we see this, guys. We see this as a reoccurring pattern in his life. And so after this happens, Esau gets a little mad. Wouldn't you get mad, right? I mean, just think back to your sibling robbery and you know, maybe they stole a toy or for the ladies, they stole an outfit, right? Like we see it in our house all the time. That's my necklace. That's my earrings, right? And Millie's just like, I got toys, right? But this is not just toys or clothes. This is a birthright. This is the inheritance. And so he's afraid. He hears that his brother is going to kill him. And so he flees, and when he flees and is running away, he, he stops and he takes a nap and he has this dream. And in this dream, he has an encounter with God. And in the dream, there is this ladder that is going from the ground up to heaven, up to the skies. And there's angels going up and down the ladder between heaven and earth. It says that the Lord is on the top of the ladder. And the Lord, in the dream, speaks a blessing over Jacob, saying, I will give you many descendants. This land that you're at is going to be yours. I'm going to bring you back here. I'm going to bless you. The nations are going to be blessed by you. But here's the thing think this it's not just Jacob's promise, but that was also Isaac's promise, and that was also Abraham's promise. God is just reminding him of what he has already promised to do for generations. Now, this is, what, this is what Jacob says in Genesis chapter 28. It says, then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing... And if I return here to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial, this pillar I've set up will become a place of worship. And I will present to God a 10th of everything he gives me. So God is, is in his dream proclaiming like all of my blessings are going to be yours. Like now and in the future, but really more so in the future, because it's not about you. God's saying it's not about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. A lot of times we think what God's doing in our life is about us, but it's not just about us. It's about those yet to come. And, and, and you would think Jacob's response would be like, God, thank you. Who am I? I'm so unworthy. But no, this is Jacob's response. Jacob's response is, Well, God, if you will be with me and protect me and provide for me food and clothing, and if you bring me back here, then you will be the God that I will worship. Anybody ever done that? It's like you find yourself in a situation. It's like, God, if you would just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never, ever, ever. And I will always, always, always worship you. And in the moment, once we get right through, we do pretty good, do we not? then a few weeks, months, or maybe even years removed from that situation, we find ourselves in another situation and we're like, God, I know all your promises are great, but if you will just right now, I will worship you as my God. Right? Here's what's true about Jacob in this moment is Jacob wasn't satisfied with God's blessings. He had this insatiable appetite for affirmation where he wanted to be liked and loved by family. And he has this, this, just um, wasn't satisfied with what God had already done. We find ourselves that way sometimes. And so here's here's what happened. He was only focused on the right now. God was focusing on generations. And in Genesis 29 through 31, verses will be on the screen. I'm not gonna read four three chapters. Is that right? Math, 20, math was not my strong suit. Is that three chapters? Yeah. I'm not gonna read three chapters of scripture, but I want you to go back and read it because... It gets real interesting here. Like I said, like soap opera, this is probably like a late night soap opera that you can't watch. And so Jacob leaves to go to his uncle's family and it's time for him to get married. Uh, He goes to his uncle Laban's house and uncle Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And I love the way scripture puts it about Leah. It says, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel was beautiful and had a great figure. So what are you saying? What are you saying, Jacob? Is saying, Leah was not the one that Jacob preferred. Rachel was the one that Jacob preferred. And so um, he decided, okay, how can I marry Rachel? And so he told Uncle Laban, he said, look, I will work for you for seven years if I can have your daughter Rachel as my wife. And so for seven years, he's faithfully working for his uncle, taking care of the farm, and gets married And then sometime in the honeymoon night, Uncle Laban does a switcheroo and puts his older daughter in the room instead of the younger daughter. And he winds up actually consummating the relationship with the older daughter. He's like, what are you doing? I didn't want Leah. There's no sparkle in that eye. I wanted Rachel. And the tradition was that the older daughter was to be married first. And so Laban says, look, it's the tradition that we have to marry my older daughter away first. If you want, Rachel, my younger daughter, work another, another seven years. Guys, think about working on a relationship for 14 years. And you're not just going on dates. You're not just writing love letters and phone calls for 14 years. Um, you're like work, like farm work. And if you're a lady in here and he's been holding out for 14 years, Um, Let's have a conversation after church, right? Okay, he needs to do some different work. I thought you guys would laugh way more at that than what I thought. It's like somebody's in here, don't look around, right? But for 14 years, he is working, manipulating to get what he wants. And it's crazy, his wives get in this battle of, of trying to have more kids than the other one and it's just, go read it for yourself. The Bible's super colorful. And so it gets time for him to go back um, to his father's land. He decides to leave Laban because there's been a feud and he's on his way home. He's on his way home and he hears his brother Esau is coming. His brother Esau is coming who he stole his birthright and his blessing. And Esau's upset and he's bringing an army with him. Jacob's terrified. And so he sends the women and the children and all of his blessings or all of his belongings away. And this is where we're gonna pick up in the next verse in Genesis 32, verse 22. Genesis 32, 22. And, and he has another encounter with God. Now, I've got several verses here, so stay with me because this is where we're gonna land. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and they crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent all his possessions over. And this line I want you to highlight in your Bible. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. It says that a man came and wrestled with him. Listen, sometimes God has to get us to a place to where we're all alone. And it says that he began to wrestle with a man all night. And sometimes when you're feeling all alone, Um, no possessions, no relationships, no friends, you feel like everyone's turned their back on you, that may be the place where God is trying to get you to so he can do some work in you. And we're always trying to get out of those positions. But sometimes God allows us to get into those positions because it's in those moments where we are more attuned to what he may be saying, what he may be doing in our life. And it says, if you keep going, it says that he began to wrestle with him until daybreak and and if you think about you and I when we're wrestling with God and some of you may be in that moment right now where you're wrestling with God on a decision something he's calling you to do something you're you're working through and you're wrestling with God oftentimes we're not just wrestling with him but he is wrestling with us and who we are apart from him does that make sense like like who we have allowed ourselves to become and, uh, and, and worked out for ourselves. That is a work that is taking place on the inside of us. And it says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. So they're wrestling and he grabs Jacob's hip. And just by touching it, being the hand of God, pulled it out of socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won and then Jacob says, please tell me your name. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place. This is what we read earlier, Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Since the sun was rising, Jacob left and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. i want to say something. And it's not going to be a popular opinion. Sometimes the encounter with God that we need is not one that we walk away joyfully shouting his praise, but walking away from with a limp because we now know how great his power is. And I know that that can seem harsh, and there are some things that I can't imagine what, what some of us have experienced, but when we are walking away from that moment in a limp, we can look back and see where he was, and see how strong he is and what he is capable of. And I was talking to our coordinators last week um, after service. when We were prepping for starting point. And, and when you look at our culture, the American culture, would you guys say that we're pretty self-sufficient? For the most part, we're pretty self-sufficient. And so when we have encounters with God, or we see in, in developing countries, when they have encounters with God, like... When they make the, when, when they pray, give us this day our daily bread, in some countries, that's very much the case. Unless God shows up, there's no food, there's no water, there's no doctor within, you know, a hundred miles. God shows up. Those are the encounters. But here, I believe in American culture, we are so self-dependent at times that the encounters that get our attention the most and help us understand the greatness of God is some of the times the ones that we're walking away with a limp. Because here's what I know, we see this in Jacob, but I know in my life, I have an insatiable appetite for affirmation. I have an insatiable, maybe not you, but I struggle with that. I struggle with, with, with wanting to know where I fit in I struggle with wanting to know where my place is. Even as a lead pastor, I'm like, if, like, like am I doing a good job? And sometimes when we're having conversations, and if someone says, I've, and I'm not telling you this, so you come up to me after service, okay, so don't do that, all right, because I'm gonna go hide in the closet after saying this. When someone says, man, that message was really good, in my mind, I'm like, are you just telling me that because you're, it was really bad and you're trying to make me feel good, <laughs> feel good, right? And then other times I'm like, man, that was a really good message and nobody is saying anything. Does anybody ever go through something like that? And even if you look at social media and kind of how it started and where it is now, it started with just being connected, just connecting. But now it has evolved in a derogatory negative way that especially the next generation, they're using it for affirmation. And it started like with MySpace. Back in the day, who had MySpace throw it up? Come on, right? It's, it's those of us that are looking a little more wise, right? Where you would craft your page and you had a background image and you had like a playlist and all the cool stuff. And it was like, hey, did you see my page? Like I would work, even as like a 24-year-old youth pastor, I would work like an hour to get my MySpace page looking really cool so my teenagers would think I was cool, right? And then Twitter, you started being able to like you know, tweets and posts and then Facebook came and started adding pictures with posts and Instagram. It's just all pictures and in the last several years selfie wasn't even a word until social media. And so now we're taking pictures of ourselves, hoping people will like and affirm us by how we look and now the evolution of social media is even with TikTok and reels and you know vines, RIP, you know, back in the day and and, and people people like you not just by what you look like but you're looking for affirmation based off what you do. And we wanna look at the, the generation coming up behind us and say, you shouldn't do that. But our generation, we've done that with our jobs. We have a, an insatiable appetite for affirmation by trying to please our bosses, our coworkers. And, and you say you don't, but we all at times do things because we want them to think that we do a good job. Maybe for some of us, we're trying to find that affirmation in our spouse or relationship. For me at times, and my kids are in here, but I'll say it anyway, like like I'm looking for that affirmation from them because I did not have a great relationship with my dad and he worked all the time. So I was like, you know what? He loved me and he did the best, but like I'm gonna be with my kids all the time and they're gonna love me. And I hope you guys kind of love me, right? Tell me afterwards, write me a letter, right? But, But that's me. We all have these areas that we're looking for affirmation, right? And I think at the same time, we can also not be satisfied with God's blessings. Like, I am so grateful for what he's doing in this church, but I'm like, and, and, and I know he wants to do more, but I want the more right now, right? I was talking with someone before service, and she was just like, I'm really, I'm really frustrated because I've been sick, and you know, I'm, I'm not getting any better, but I'm not any worse. And of course, I'm the, I'm the guy in the conversation. I was like, you know, here's the way you need to look at it. You're not any worse, right? And I don't think that helped the situation at all. But what if we were more grateful for the things that God has done? How would our lives be different? How would our presence, God's presence in our life be different? And so you and I, if we were to look at the story of Jacob, we're not much different. But I think sometimes we need an encounter where we walk away Limping just a little bit because here's what these encounters bring. As first, is they bring a renewed strength. And you're like, how does that work? The dude can't like he's not walking as strong as he was before. Is that when we have these encounters that remind us of how great God is and we see our weaknesses? we can understand that our strength is not of our own, that our ultimate strength comes from him. And I know sometimes I'm trying to live out like my purpose in my life out of my own strength. And it's in those days and those moments and those seasons where I'm probably the most exhausted and the most ill. Anybody else, right? But when I can recognize that he is the strength in the midst of my weakness, that my strength does not come from what, what I do, but who I surrender to, that, that he is my source of strength. And Paul even says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says each time, and Paul is talking with God about, about this weakness that he has, maybe about his Talks about a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know if that's a sin. We don't know if that's a physical ailment. We don't know what it is. But but he said he asked God three times to take it away. And it says, each time God said, My grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. And the NIV puts it this way, that, that my power is made perfect in your weakness but we think God needs us to be perfect and strong. He doesn't need that. He just needs us to surrender. And sometimes, guys, in all honesty, it is our self-sufficiency that is our greatest weakness. And so what has happened in this story is God has taken Jacob, who was self-sufficient, stole the birthright, stole the blessing, worked for his two wives, and he's made him less self-sufficient and more dependent on God. And so when we wrestle with God and we have these encounters, it brings a renewed strength. And and, and through that, it brings a renewed identity. It brings a renewed identity that that we see ourselves a little bit different. Up until that point, Jacob had defined his identity by what he had, his birthrights, his blessings, who he was married to. There's even a season when he's at Uncle Laban's house and he's manipulating the, the goat herd so that he can build up his wealth. Now, God's in it in the midst of all of that, but he's working and he's building his identity on his birth order, his blessings, and his relationships. And his name is Jacob. But in that wrestling, God touches his hip and pops it out of socket and then says that you are no longer Jacob, but I am calling you Israel. He says, no, you're no longer gonna be called Jacob, I'm now calling you Israel. Now listen to me. He didn't just change Jacob's name, but he identified a nation. Because look and think, we know now like Israel is a nation, but then it was just a person whose name was Jacob who was a deceiver, had an encounter with God, God changed him, renamed him, but just didn't rename him, named generations to come. And so listen to me, as God's working in you, your identity, it's not just an identity for you, it's the identity for the generations coming after you. And for me, that's things like, I look, I, do you look up a family tree or down a family tree where you're at? Do you guys know? You look up? So the people that went before me, they're up, they're not down. Okay, so right? Look down. I don't know. When you look where your parents are, right? When you look at where your parents are, up, down, all around, I don't care. Your pants falling down. Just kidding. All right. (laughs) But when you look, some of us, when we look at, and they did the best they could with what they knew and who they knew God to be. But some of us in this room, we have a desire to lead a different path. And we don't wanna hold on to the identity from our parents or grandparents or uncles or maybe even the identity that was placed on you in high school or middle school or college or a previous relationship. Allow God to change that identity in you. And that identity change is not just for you, but it's for the ones coming after you. And that's why we have to think, guys, God doesn't work just in terms of right now. We want him to, we believe him to, but he is working in terms of generations. And so one of the things that, that, that we wanna do here at, here at Avenue Church is we kinda have these three pillars um, that we want. We believe that um, we want you to experience God's unconditional love. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so we want you to experience the way. That's experiencing God's unconditional love. And we want you to experience the truth. And I believe in today's culture, the greatest truth that that everyone is searching for and seeking after. And the question that we're asking most is, who am I? Right? And so we want you to understand the truth of who you are, is that your identity is found in Christ that it's not found in your relationship, that it's not found in your job, it's not found in your kids, it's not found in your social media, it's not found in any of that, but your identity is found in Christ. And Paul says, for when you died to this life, as a believer, your old life is no more, that you have a new life and that your new life, this real life is hidden in Christ God. It says, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in that glory, which is better than any like or thumbs up or raise that the glory that Christ has when he returns, listen to me guys, the glory that Christ has when he returns because we are in him, our life is in him, we share in that glory. And so Jacob, Israel walked away with a new identity, not based on who he was, but who God is. You know, I listen to all kinds of music Um, everything from classical. The only thing I don't listen to, guys, is country. So if you listen to country, we can still be friends. We're just not going to take road trips, okay, because there'll be a fight. Um, But, like, even in high school, I've always been eclectic, and so I would listen to, was talking Friday night uh, on the way down to Huntsville to a men's night just about different music. And, like, I went through a season where I really liked Yanni, does anybody know who Yanni is? Yeah, don't laugh, don't hate, right? He's like a long-haired Fabio Italian guy, like really cool mustache. And and so there was this, you know, the night at the Apocryphal, I think was the name of it. I saw it on a late night PBS. And I was like, I gotta have that CD. And so I bought the CD. And so it was like, like Tupac in the daytime and then Yanni at night so I could sleep, right? And so I listened to this, like just eclectic. And so I gave Matthew my notes with... Um, a couple lines from song, from a song uh, and and he's asked me this morning he was like hey i got a question about your notes there's just this random word that i don't think is real did you mean to put it in there and and i was like no that's that's an artist that i listen to and his name's what up rg I don't, I don't get it. He's 22, 23. He's a rapper. So that might, it could be like little whatever. Right. But in this song, in this song and the name of the song is called Aquafina. But at the end of it, he makes this statement. He said, remind me who you are when I forget who I am. Remind me who you are when I forget who I am. So many times we want to figure out who I like, 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 who am I? Who am I? God, show me who I am. And God's like, I don't want to just show you who you are. I want to show you who I am. Because when you understand who I am, then you will really know who you are. It's a great song. Go listen to it if you like rap. If not, I got nothing for you, right? But he gives us a renewed strength. He gives us a renewed identity. And then then we get a new joy. We get renewed joy. And, And I love this imagery. In Genesis 32, 31, it says, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I just want you to get a a mental image, a mental mental picture that he's in the season of wrestling, and and he, he wanted a blessing, but he walked away with a limp but he saw God face to face and lived we have an opportunity guys you and i to meet with god face to face not just on an occasion but whenever we want and no we may not see him but we can sense him we can feel him we can we can know who he is through his word we can experience his presence through worship and 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 i just picture like he knows he's about to go into battle with his brother but he's had this encounter with god that has changed his identity that has changed the way he walks and and i really don't think it changed the just changed the way he walked physically i think he walked differently with the lord and there's joy in that and then david says this the psalmist says this in psalm 16 verse 11 It says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, where? In your presence. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You'll fill me with joy. That's where the joy of the Lord is. It's in his presence. We can walk away from an encounter with him with a renewed joy, But that consistent joy stays within his presence. And I want to point out something in that story where they're wrestling. And God asks Jacob, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And God says, no, it's Israel. And then right after that, Jacob says, what is your name? And it's not until Jacob says, what is your name? Then the next line says, and God blessed Jacob. Jacob. because here's what Jacob was wanting to do. He was wanting to know more about the person that was with him. And I think sometimes we want to keep God far off and expect blessings to come there. And he's wanting us to draw in and know him. This is me. I'm preaching this to myself as much as I am to you. Want to know him more than just his blessings. Who are you? What is your name? What is your nature? And when we ask God those questions, He reveals those things. And some of you in here today, as we get ready to close this, some of you in here today, you may be in this wrestling season It's like it's late at night, and like obviously it's noon, right? But in your life, it feels just like a dark season. It's a dark season in your life, and you're wrestling. You don't know what to do it says Jacob didn't let go can I just encourage you don't let go don't let go of God tighten your grip there's a passage in Hebrews that says take a new grip with your tired hands some of you you're you you are tired your grip is getting tired it's like you've been holding on to the steering wheel forever and you let go and just take a new grip With this season. Take a new grip of your word. Take a new grip with your prayer time. Take a new grip in your worship time. Come at it from a different perspective, but don't let go and draw closer in. And it may be an encounter that you walk away limping a little more, but I promise you, you will walk away knowing God a whole lot more and his blessings will be with you so with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to pray for those of you that you're in a wrestling season you're in a wrestling season don't let go you've tried to do things on your own and now you're at a place where you're all alone don't let go and I want to pray for you to draw closer to him and if that's you whether it's one dozen I don't care because he's concerned about us all. If that's you and you're in the wrestling season, would you just lift your hand? And I wanna pray for you. Come on. Awesome. Father, I just come to you this afternoon now. God, I thank you so much just for your presence in our lives your word promises that you inhabit the praises of your people when we come together you're here in our midst and not that you're waiting on us to get together and start singing but god you awaken something within us to notice your presence in our lives when we come together and dedicate time to you and god some of us are are walking like jacob right now we've been doing things on our own seeking affirmation by our place in life our place at work relationships that we have, but God, renew our identity in you and you alone. God, create in us just a a heart of gratitude for what you've done and are doing in our life. God, those that are in a wrestling season right now, God, I pray that they do not let go and God, do not let go of them because God, you're changing them. God, for generations not just for the now but for generations the strength to come is for generations the identity to come is for generations the blessings to come are for generations that they're doing what generations before them before us could not do in a relationship with you and God it can be hard sometimes but God strengthen them strengthen their grip on you stay close God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, does not have a relationship with you, I pray that right now in this moment that they are just starting a simple conversation by saying, God, I'm sorry, I give you my life. That it's in that surrender that we have complete and total strength. And so, Father, that whatever sin or baggage or shame has brought them to this place, God, that you redeem that because it's bringing them into relationship with you and it is covered by the sacrifice of your son. And so, God, they may have walked in here one way, but, God, I pray they leave a son and a daughter of the Most High King. That the sin they're ashamed of is now not even recognized because it's forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And, God, we just thank you that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All the old is gone, and everything is made new today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it's doing in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.